0: Hello and welcome to Frank Skinner's Poetry Podcast. It's me talking about poetry. I, I'm not going to sell you anything that you're not going to get. That's what it is and I'm doing it because I love poetry. But also, no, that's the only reason I'm, I'm doing it, to be to be completely straight. I really developed my love of poetry as a student at Birmingham Polytechnic. So that's... Um, that's going to give you a sort of an inclination of uh, the sort of level I'm going to be operating at today. I want to look at a couple of poems and contrast and compare, as they used to say on the old uh, O level exam papers. First one I want to talk about is uh, it's a poem by Stevie Smith called "Not Waving But Drowning." It was written in 1957, as was I, in a in a metaphorical sense. Stevie Smith is really interesting. It's it's not a bloke by the way, it's it's a woman. And her poetry has has got a strange it's like a ballad and it it to me it has a sort of profoundly english pagan oddness about it. They seem often quite simple and sometimes a bit rubbish and then when you read them and really get into the world of Stevie Smith I think they can get a bit uh, excellent this one is probably her most famous poem ever and it's called Not Waving but Drowning now have I already said that? oh look, who cares in 1963 Stevie Smith wrote a novel called Novel on Yellow Paper and she said in there and I quote this is a foot off the ground novel and if you are a foot on the ground kind of person this book will be for you a desert of weariness and exasperation it's kind of a bit how I feel um I should sell this podcast what is a foot on the ground person a foot on the ground person who I think is uh I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. I once saw a naked bike ride going over Waterloo Bridge in central London. Just naked people uh, on bicycles. uh, Big people, small people, beautiful people, less beautiful people. And I thought it was a really fantastic image of the human spirit. And there was a family standing next to me, a guy and, and a woman and two kids. And the guys looked at the looked at the bike ride and said uh, weirdos and there I think is the two categories of humanity those who are on those bikes naked and uh, the one who just couldn't cope with that level of um, freedom so I'm going to start by reading I, I, shall I read the whole poem or should I just read the first bit it's quite short I don't want to uh, I don't want to stifle you early on I'm gonna blast it out here we go not waving but drowning nobody heard him the dead man but still he lay moaning I was much further out than you thought and not waving but drowning poor chap he always loved larking and now he's dead must have been too cold for him his heart gave way they said no, oh, no, no, no! It was too cold. Always, still, the dead one lay moaning. I was much too far out all my life, and not waving, but drowning. So, if we take that—that first—you um, probably know that each sort of lump of poetry in within a poem is called a stanza. It's just—it's a kind of a poet's paragraph if that's what you want. So it begins, nobody heard him, the dead man. And I think straight off we're into this Stevie Smith world. Is there any literal truth in this or is it just poetic truth? Is there a real dead man who's really dead? And if so, how is he speaking? Or is death in this poem, is it something else? Is it a sort of just non-involvement in life? what's to hear from a, a dead man um what are they going to say anyway so he's much further out than you thought that's what he said i was much further out than you thought and that could be i think that he's separated from others that he is an outsider he's been an outsider forever he's one of those guys who you see around but you never speak to or on the literal level again he was swimming too far from the coast and that's dangerous but you can see that it's not going to be i don't think this is a sort of coast guard message poem that seems unlikely to me can i say it's very superficial of me but a really brilliant title to a poem does it does draw me in i think not waving but drowning is is a great title the reason i think that is the physical similarity of waving and someone throwing their arms about in the water because they're drowning is actually not that dissimilar but psychologically there is an enormous chasm obviously there's there's this the joy of seeing someone you recognize and all that the love in the air and then the horror of your whole life, This is what they say about drowning, flashing before you. I think this poem is partly about who we are and how other people see us and the enormous discrepancy before the, between those two things. There's an image, isn't there, of... A phone box, a man in a phone box. I think I can just about get away with using this image because and there are still some phone boxes around. I mean the closed ones, you know, those red ones with the door. And the theory is that human communication is a bit like watching someone in a phone box. You're standing outside... You might catch the, the odd word if their voice is raised loud enough. You see some gestures, some facial expressions, but you can't hear the other voice, see so you do what they're responding to. So you're really having to piece together as best you can what is going on. And um, I think the absurdist playwright Eugene Ionesco, um, I think it was him, said that that is basically what human communication Is like you're picking up bits, you're guessing, you're squinting a bit to see exactly um, what they mean and what they're getting at. If I'll tell you what I'm getting at then. The middle stanza of this poem, the middle lump of poetry, is the voice of those on the shore, if you like, no longer the the dead man's voice. And I'll repeat it. It goes, poor chap, you always love larking and now he's dead. It must have been too cold for him, his heart gave way, they said. I don't know if this chap always loved larking. I love larking as a a verb, a verb of uh, general ebullience and enjoyment. Did he always love larking, or did these people not really know him at all? It reminds me a bit of when somebody kills seven or eight people, and you get Interviews with the neighbours and they say, well, he was always such a, you know, quiet bloke, kept himself to himself. And you think you didn't know him. You never really made an effort with him. And um, maybe that's why he became desolate and aggressive. I'm not blaming the neighbours in these cases, obviously, if there's any neighbours of uh, serial killers tuning in. You'll notice, by the way, or maybe you didn't, but there's a different there's a different uh, rhythm for that middle stanza. Poor chap, you always loved larking and now he's dead. Must have been too cold from his heart gave away, they said. And I think that is Stevie Smith giving a different rhythm to a different voice, because this is the crowd talking, if you like, rather than the dead man himself. So I don't know if you always love larking. It's, it says nobody heard him, the dead man. That's the first phrase in the poem. and And... Maybe they never heard him. Maybe that they they never heard him say anything. I should interject at this point that the uh, certain poems appeal to you often on on a personal level. Uh, when people say to me what is the best thing about celebrity, obviously they don't say it as much as they did, but when they did, is it you know money or is it becoming uh, suddenly attractive? Uh, you know the fame. I thought it was being noticed. I was really, I never was much noticed before. And just being heard was tremendously exhilarating experience. And here's here's an example of, of a guy who I don't think has been heard. As it said, nobody heard him, the dead man. I don't think they ever heard him. I don't think it's just when he's moaning there. So let let's look at that last answer again oh no 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 it was too cold always still the dead one lay moaning i was much too far out all my life and not waving but drowning look i think i like this poem because i have been too far out all my life i don't mean far out as in 1960s psychedelia I mean, I am a distant, um, a distant character. I acknowledge that. It's took me a long time to acknowledge it. But yes, it is true. You'll hear paper moving about in this as well, this podcast. I mean, get over it. Uh, It's paper. You remember that. So, so yeah. So I, he was too far out all his life. And now it's a moment of regret. As I say, it's, they say that uh, your your life flashes before you when you're drowning, and I think it's given him a chance to assess. And he and he fell into that trap of being distant, being a loner, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I really like um, Stevie Smith's poetry, and I'd I'd recommend uh, authors. Um, in fact, I will. In Felice is one I really like. Strange again like an odd fairy tale type world she creates I discovered her incidentally by um I was just flicking through TV channels late at night and I came across a movie called Stevie I I had heard of Stevie Smith um but I didn't really know her poetry and it it, it starred Glenda Jackson as Stevie Smith so I tuned in for Glenda I'll be honest I've always been an enormous fan of hers, not always for the right reasons. And that was when I, you know, this poem features, obviously, and I, I got slightly hooked on her. The second poem I want to look at is called Dance Rus by William Carlos Williams. It was written in 1916. We're going back a bit today. We'll go back further sometimes. Sometimes we'll be um, really on on our contemporary doorstep in these in these pods. I'm gonna call them pods now. The the double syllable is getting on my nerves. William Carlos Williams I think is an amazing poem. This is a poem as I say called Dance Rus, which um I think means um like Russian dance Does it you know it's okay. It I wasn't drawn in by this title. I'll be upfront about that so let's um let's begin I have to say though (laughs) I know I have to say a lot of things but in poetry in general I am attracted to poems that somehow um mirror me or move me mentally one way or another. Well, I'm attracted to a lot of poems. One of the reasons I like poems is I think all poetry is an intermingling of your thoughts and feelings with the poet's thoughts and feelings. I don't think I can read the same poem that you can read. I think when I read Not Waving But Drowning, I'm reading something different because I'm... It's a two-way street, it's a tennis game. There's I'm there's some of me involved in the reading of it, as well as some of Stevie Smith. And when you read it, it'll be it'll be different again. There is a Greek philosopher, isn't there, who said you can't step into the same river twice because obviously it's changing and things. And I don't think that um you can uh, that people can read the same poem. That that's what I think. This is Dance Rus by um, William Carlos Williams. I am going to do this in chunks because because it's my podcast. I'll uh, do what I like. So it begins, if I, well, we're off, aren't we? Um, If I, if someone begins a sentence, if I, I mean, for example, if I, well, there you have it. I think there's a... You really want the verb and you want it quick in that sentence. If you what? If you what? If I walked up to someone uh, and said to them, uh, just a stranger, and I said, to them, if I... I think they'd be edgy straight away. If I told you I loved you, if I confessed that I stole the scream from a North European gallery... Something like that, so he grabs us straight away if I I'll go on if I when my wife is sleeping and the baby and Kathleen are sleeping, so whatever he's talking about the uh, the verb in the if i he only it it seems he's only able to do it when he's uh, when the family is sleeping it's a secret thing that he doesn't want to do. Uh, when someone might burst in with a cup of coffee. So we were even more, the mystery has increased further, I think. I read a couple of online analyses of this poem, just by, you know, readers. uh, And one of them says, oh, clearly the family, uh, he's killed the family. Uh, And uh, I can't can't find that in it. But again, like I say, uh, two people can't read the same poem. So, if I, when my wife is sleeping and the baby and Kathleen are sleeping, we don't know who Kathleen is, but, you know, it's fine, and the sun is a flame-white disc in silken mists above shining trees, what What happened then? Um, t- two things, I think. First of all, morning is, is breaking. The sun is a flame-white disc. It's shining above the trees. It's just coming up. And because he only wants to do this when they're sleeping, it seems that gives it a bit of tension. Hurry up and get it over with, because they'll be awake soon. Um, is is the subtext of this? But also, if if we take those two sections, if we take if I when my wife is sleeping and the baby and Kathleen are sleeping, that's very that could be uh, a text that you got from a from a friend. It's very um, straightforward. Whereas, and the sun is a flame white disk in silken mists above shining trees. That's poetry. I know poetry. I mean poetry with the capital P. It's it also does that thing of uh, of delaying the if I verb. We still don't know what it is that he's that he's thinking of doing or that he's going to tell us about. Is he using poetry as just another delaying method here? I don't know, but I, I like the way he, he springs it in because descriptions of sunrise is a, is a poetic convention and I think he's enjoying that fact. Okay, back to him. If I, we oh, repeat it again, yeah, we, like we'd forgotten. If I, in my north room, wow, now that, now we're being delayed by details of place. We've had the people sleeping, so context. We've had time. Morning is, is breaking through, and now we've got geography. If I, in my north room, we still don't know what he's going to do there, but something's going to happen. The north room has got a bit of... Uh, God, I am so going to start calling uh, the, the attic in my house where I work, where I sit now. In fact, I sit here um, speaking into a, um, a microphone, looking at my laptop. I don't have a desk. I um, It's all on top of the linen basket. Uh, that That's how I operate. I do have a desk, but it's covered in stuff. I lied about not having one. So come on, what is it? What's he going to do in the north room? So here we go. If I'm in my north room... Dance naked grotesquely before my mirror, waving my shirt round my head. Whoa! So, I, I don't know about you, I was expecting a sly anticlimax because he's built it up the if I so much, but now he's dancing naked grotesquely and waving his shirt round his head. I mean, it's absolute freedom and elation, and I love that. I love the grotesquely that he uses because I think it's very beautiful, this image of a man uh, dancing naked, grotesquely, waving his shirt over his head. I think it's beautiful because it isn't beautiful. I'm, I'm imagining him as a bit like when I dance naked, waving my shirt above my above my head like that when i looked uh the anthology that i had this poem in originally had a bit of background info i'm always wary about biographical and background info to poems i like them to kind of exist uh independently of everything um usually that could be an error on my part doesn't always work but ballet russe the russian ballet company were were in uh New York City, where um, William Carlos Williams lived that year, uh, 1916. They performed there with uh, Najinsky, who you might have heard of, very famous uh, ballet dancer. So famous, he had a racehorse named after him. And how many of us can say that? I have an idea I had whip it named after me, but it's, this is neither the time nor the place to go into that. The reason I don't read up much on poems, anyone who knows a lot about poetry has probably already been thinking this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But it's like when I go to an art gallery, I like to look at a painting for you know two or three minutes, soak it up, have an emotional response to a painting before I look at that label on the side that tells me what the painting's about. Because um I don't I don't want to be told I, I read it afterwards. But I don't want to be robbed of my own response. And that is, I guess, why if I do read up on a on a poem, I don't um, I don't do it until I've read the poem myself several times. By the way, um, you've got to read a poem several times. That's the deal. You've got to. And I'm not having any arguing. So that's that now. So he's dancing um grotesquely naked in his room. Um by the way can I just tell you the, the the ballet thing I once went to a ballet in Birmingham I'm not a fan you notice I'm I'm speeding up now because I don't know if this uh anecdote should be here but I'm sharing it. Uh and and there was uh, it was an, it was a contemporary dance thing. I'm not into it but you know I'll try any uh any thing um arty and uh they were amazing, but I wasn't. I wasn't moved by. There was a, a, a man, a, an older man, but probably younger than I am now. Big guy in in my row, and he uh, was clearly asleep. Not he wasn't snoring, but he had that breathing that, that they only the sleeping have, which is some somewhere short of snoring, but still, it's it's a tremendous um, sign of sleep. And then he, um, the sleeping man suddenly broke wind, as I once heard uh, Kenneth Williams describe it, with alarming ferocity. And it was an awful moment for us all, but my, my friend, I remember, gestured towards the stage and said to me, the body in control, and then gestured to the man and said, the body out of control. And, and maybe that's the kind of thing we're talking about here, except in this particular instance um, the fat farting man is um, centre stage and um, and the beautiful ones are, are not invited and that appeals to me I think this is partly about this, this poem about the things one does when unobserved you know people talk about that a bit they talk about the fact that uh, in the shower what they sing and stuff like that but that's not a big confession is it you know, when I'm on the toilet, for the last 10 years, whenever I've been sat on the toilet, I pretend to be the player manager of Barcelona FC and I give a, a press conference. So, there. So we all do weird things when when we're on our own. And this is, I think, this guy behaving as he would only do on his own but sharing it in a in a poem. So, thus breaking down the privacy that gives us um, security. Um, And then comes the true wonder of this poem for me. Listen to this. Waving my shirt round my head and singing softly to myself, I am lonely, lonely. I was born to be lonely. I am best so. OK, he's used the L word. Now, I think that is a word that a lot of people, they don't even want to think about. I think loneliness is a very, still a, a taboo um, subject. You know, when we thought when this guy was naked that he'd stripped away a lot of the, of the surface coverings, but now he's actually singing and dancing about his own loneliness. That's fairly phenomenal. The reason I discovered this poem by the way is a friend um emailed it to me and said I think this is very you. Um so when I read this bit I did I did think back to it. Um I um my identifying jingle on 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 my absolute radio radio show is a clip of uh, the loneliest man in the world if you know that song but I've always identified with it. I was a lonely child. Um, I'm a bit like the drowned man. I was probably too far out my whole life. Um, But loneliness, as as well as terrifying me, also has a strange lure for me. I know people are going to say, "Oh no, that's the difference between um, lonely and being alone. Yeah, I don't buy that distinction. I think if you want to be alone, you have to buy it with the pain of loneliness. That is the deal. So this uh, William Carlos Williams protagonist is actually celebrating his loneliness, I, I, which is fab. I, I, can I say the, about the grotesque element? I don't think beautiful people could dance like this with this kind of abandon because the mirror would become their audience, I think. And here the mirror is, is just for him. Um, he doesn't want to share this. He doesn't want to look good. He just wants to see his own ecstasy. That's what I would say. Anyway, he, uh, rounding off this poem, he says he, he says in, in the last um, couple of lines, Who shall say I am not the happy genius of my household? So it's an incredibly... Happy poem in many ways, even though it is a man singing about his own loneliness. We know he's not alone because we know he's got a wife and a kid. And let's not forget uh, Kathleen, who's also in the uh, in the house. It seems I think that he dances to celebrate what everyone in a long loving relationship celebrates the agreed absence of the other. I think, I'm guessing, and again, I'm totally imposing my own own life on this, that this is probably a new baby and he's doing that thing, he's got to work the next day and so he's sleeping in the spare room. And you can be consumed by a family unit, you can be consumed by a baby, you can be consumed by a relationship. And I think what he's doing here in this little bit of private kingdom is celebrating the fact that he is still himself. He is still an individual. Walt Whitman sang a song of himself, celebrating himself, and I think that's what this is. And within the context of a uh, of a marriage, uh, with a, of a relationship, of, of of a family, it's a very important thing. Uh, Rilke, the German poet, said of relationships that we should be the guardians of each other's solitude. And I have always felt that t- t- to be true. And I once went out with a woman, w- when I rolled over in bed, thus turning my back to her, she used to go, huh, charming. And um, I need someone who, who will give me some some isolation, some, um, someone who will let me escape. Into myself. And this guy has done that, I think. I think he's in the spare room, the north room, and I think he is just, he's reclaiming his his individuality so easily lost in, uh, in the family unit. And having done that, I think he's, you know, batteries recharged, he's ready to return to the family. This is not an anti family poem. To me, this is a poem that recognises that you still need to be you, the individual, as well as a part of that family that you exist within. As he says, Who shall say I am not the happy genius of my household? Yes, he's happy to call himself a genius. He is completely saying, yeah, people might not notice me so much because the baby gets all the attention and and my wife gets loads of attention, uh, Kathleen less so, but I am a, look at me naked dancing as the sun comes up. It's a sort of a celebration of himself. But the poem still ends with the word household. So I think he's at the end of it. He's acknowledging and celebrating that also. But he needed this. He needed to remind himself that loneliness of being on your own of not being part of the big picture of just being separate from the others whether the others is the people on the beach or whether it's the family that is is you need that you need that if you lose that you lose yourself So, thank you so much for listening to this episode of My Poetry Podcast. Don't forget to press subscribe on your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. (laughs) Imagine it. And if you enjoyed it, never know, please do rate, review and subscribe. See you next week.